You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 151. Nope, it's 152. I was reading 151, so I knew which one we weren't on and said that out loud. How'd that go? Badly. (laughs) Brett's here, Jaden, too. (laughs) It's okay, I've only done this more than 150 times. It's fine, don't worry about it. To be fair. I like twenty of those were me, so it's like one hundred and thirty. No, but I've got, been got... on I've been on multiple other casts that oh, I've that's introduced true. before yeah, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we 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 did it, everyone. Good job, solid <laughs> intro. I think we nailed it. Um, Are you so glad <laughs> this is the network you're joining? <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, we have a couple of guests on with us today. Do you guys want to in- introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Luis from Charge and Spike. It's good to know that you get better at this with 150 shows. Yeah, it only uh, goes uphill, really. <laughs> <laughs> right, good, because, yeah, I, I always find the, the intros kind of awkward, too. So th- this is really comforting to hear that I, w- I will stop messing up my intros eventually. Yeah, they'll be <laughs> flawless day, before you know it. <laughs> One day, Luis, you'll, you'll get it, and it'll feel natural. So, hi, guys. My name's Jay, Jay Powell. I'm the other host of Charge and Spike. How are you guys doing? Hey, uh, if you all don't know, Charge and Spike is a another podcast that focuses on Warcaster Neo Mechanica. Yeah, which is awesome because there are not that many of those out there yet. Yep. And we're fans, but not enough to make a podcast of. <laughs> well, you dedicated a few episodes to it, mm-hmm. so we appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Sorry. Right, let's just, Brett. Let's just do another podcast. Okay. Oh so, God! No, no, you're supposed to say no. <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say, so you're actually gonna pay me a wage? Brett, <laughs> oh. I will double your salary. Damn it. <laughs> Wait, does that mean we're being replaced? No. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No. <laughs> if I had time, on top of everything else. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we, as, uh, just like we did, uh, people who listened to the last one that, that we did last week, we brought, uh, Mr. Melorian on, we've got all kinds of different people who have been coming on, joining up with the, the line of sight page and just doing all kinds of great content stuff. And, uh, two thirds of the line of sight, <laughs> I'm calling us the line of sight media group now. Cause it sounds more official. <laughs> oh, Jay, Jay and I keep referring to it as we're part of the line of sight family right now. Yeah. Uh, that works. Yeah, it just, just feels, you know, nice and comforting. Yeah. Yep, I'm down. Yeah. Well, and and we're trying to bring everyone on, get everyone yep. to know uh, each other, and get get so you know what's available. So, like, if you like Monpoc or if you like Neo Mechanica, you know what to look for. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. It's going uh, to be crazy uh, this year. We typically start off talking about news. So we're going to hit on that a little bit. Uh, there's a couple of kind of small things. Uh, the uh, Premature Press posted an insider showing off uh, Isaiah uh, t- today, as of the day we're recording. So there we go. Now you know. Uh, where, uh, yeah, they just talked a little bit about uh, Isaiah's character and uh, showed off kind of the current iteration of uh, his rules, which should be pretty close to final, given that he drops at like the end of the month. Yeah. Yes, uh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, they posted that up. You can go check out uh, just on the Private Press website. They've got the insider up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's my favorite iteration of the game. How many rules do you need to give a bad model before it becomes good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, this guy is attempting to make dread rods work, right? Which yeah. hasn't been a thing for quite some time. Um, How many rules that need to have exactly the same ability need need to have a different name? Yeah, because he gives them what both ghostly on charges and gang, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Is there how many are there how many elite cadres give two abilities? I don't think None. any. I think any this is do. the first one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yes, he, he has some other ability that has the exact same name or something else. Uh, for where it is. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Yep. But uh, I don't know. He seems fun at the very least. Uh, his model's I, cool. His model's yeah, super cool. His model looks and, great. Yeah. And like his goal is you can choose whether to make Dreadrots just you know cheap trash or premium. If he accomplishes mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, so we'll see how it actually plays out. Yeah, definitely. So so the model is really cool looking and like that I really want to paint it, but I'm a little disappointed the horse isn't anatomically correct like the other <laughs> press model. I'm actually kinda of happy. A, that I have thing. a local that gets so hung up on that about every horse that they release. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> well, Wait, it's, it's not a horse, it's a frightmare. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, you you do not want frightmares to be anatomically correct. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm not interested in seeing what's down there. I'm sorry. <laughs> not after I've seen what's up top. It's already horrifying. Yep. Yeah. Well, you put it that way. That makes a lot of sense. Is your local, are they disappointed they, they are anatomically correct or that they aren't? They're disappointed whenever a horse is not. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's I don't funny. know why. Because <laughs> I never even notice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other stuff going on. I think privateer. Okay, so yeah, the big one. They uh, we got an official confirmation on when the Iron Kingdom's Requiem Kickstarter is starting. It's starting on the twenty sixth of yep. January. And boy, is that offering price really freaking reasonable? Reasonable for what it is. So it's it's, uh, it's at four books or is it three? It's three books. It's it's the Monster Nomicon. It's the core rules and it's the module and a gm screen for 100 bucks yeah that's a, that's a great yeah, that's price a that's like that's like the discount price for amazon for D stuff right like yeah yeah i imagine good. well they they mentioned specifically that's an early bird price so i imagine it's going to go quick yeah well i, I think i, I think, think it's available is like, the, yeah it's available for the first uh, 48 hours yeah yeah and, and then also like the regular price i think was 110 or 120 so oh, it's not that's even still- yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I'm excited. I want this like now. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to see what kind of stretch goals they, they have for this thing. Yeah. I'm curious if they're going to do models or not. Yeah. I, well, I know that because uh, somebody asked Doug Hamilton about like IK specific models and he said he he did not know of anything like that. Uh, I, so I, I do know <laughs> that they, they mentioned something about... Um, what was it like card decks of like uh, mechanica and probably spells and stuff uh that sounds cool part of part of the kickstarter um i i want to say that that there was a post where they mentioned some stuff about that um which would be very cool uh this little little tools like that are always really really helpful yeah uh in my experience i will say the one thing i think that the the art on the three books looks very cool i wish it was more cohesive but i think that's my like D and D third edition brain where they all look like cool tomes. Uh, well, yeah, because picks. <laughs> yeah, like half of them are callbacks to the original design, and half of them are just. And, and then the Monster Nomicon wow. one is like it looks like a book with like a griever on it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I do love. I am actually really hyped that they've got they've got a reprise of Witchfire. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it has a new section to it. it has a fourth section. Yeah. Oh, is it? No yeah, and I don't I don't know a ton about the original one. It's not not something I've I've looked into a whole lot, but I'm I'm excited to like cuz I I want to run uh, a game of it that that we hopefully record in some way and, and put up online a site and uh, starting with with Witchfire would be a really cool way. It's it's, it's yeah. very fun. I've I've played through all three of the the, uh, cool. the first three missions and it's both as a GM and as a player. It's a very very good way to get into IK. It's a very good way to introduce the the rules so like uh the i think it'd be it's very it'll be very interesting to sort of learn how to use ik and 5e with it i think definitely yeah yeah actually i ran it in the the previous yep. ik rpg <laughs> nice yeah i i think in kind of what you said about like just getting people like that's the biggest thing for me about this coming to fight fifth edition this is such an easy way to get people into iron kingdoms mm-hmm. yeah like that normally would never have gone near it and yeah, it's a fun world. There's a lot of fun stuff, and and on top of that, I'm really excited to see like what the hell's going on because the campaign yeah. setting has post Infernal Invasion like yep. a setting in yeah. it, and we we maybe we'll finally get to learn what the heck's happening because it's been like a while. I know well, I'm making up more lore than we've seen so far. Hungerford <laughs> <laughs> well, Hungerford talked today about um, Faye writing the 
next arc of the Oblivion campaign, and that's supposedly having a bunch of fluff and coming out in the next couple of months. So we'll oh, probably but... see that before um, we see the the uh, These books IK stuff. Yeah, that would make sense. You would want to have that resolution before going into the okay. Right. Here's yeah. here's now the mm-hmm. aftermath, right? Which will be kind of what that setting is. And I think that's such a like. I'm actually more excited to use that as a setting than I would be about like Iron Kingdoms as we've known it for the past like 10 years, exactly. because yeah. like post kind of post-apocalypse settings are really fun to play around. And there's a reason they're popular. They give you a lot of room to breathe. Well, it's, it's even better because it, you can also play at mid apocalypse, which is some of my favorite too. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Like as a GM being able to say, okay, you're level like one or two and uh it's the infernal invasion and they just hit your city and this is where good you luck start. good luck <laughs> yeah right. this is the situation you're in enjoy For, that forget yep. the uh forget the you meet in a bar or forget the <laughs> yeah. here's a random encounter no you're running for your life because when you're weak enough swarming that a four-boater is an actual threat <laughs> right all but yeah. the five of you die what do the five of you do to survive? <laughs> I also yeah. enjoyed Kingdom Death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm super excited for that. I'm really excited to see the Kickstarter go live because we'll we'll finally get like concrete information on what the um the uh, uh stretch goals and all the all the extras and little fun bits are. I'm really um, hoping for a uh, Riot Quest source book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. I didn't even thought of that. Yeah, secondary setting, that's right? What, that's yeah. what I want. That'd be hilarious. Uh, I'm actually one thing that'll be really fun to look at too is actually the Monsternomicon, uh, which and anybody who's into D and D knows that like the Monster Manual is the funnest one to dig through. But oh yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like so, even like the older the Iron Kingdoms Monsternomicon was a huge source of like models that might come out eventually, right? Like that's how yeah. we knew about the Dracodile for a very long time. And stuff like that, where it was like, oh, maybe it'll be this, and and I'm wondering if there'll be some new monsters in there. Yeah, I was I was just telling Luis earlier that in my campaigns, I used to use uh, Soul Stalkers for my Infernalist as sort of like the thing that scared my opponents into steering away from them, my my yeah. players steering away from them. And so I used them as early as like 2004, 2005, nice. and so when they came out in Infernals, I was like, oh my god, this is so amazing. <laughs> like, and it's just like the art from the 3.5 book and yeah. so that the fact that they mine that stuff is just amazing yeah definitely yeah. yeah uh other news we've got uh fallen corvus stuff yeah yeah so um come hell or high water i'm gonna have the beta running tomorrow so <laughs> that's the 15th of january so it will be out yeah when, the, when this podcast goes up um i can tell you right away that the players are not going to get to see scenario two ahead of time uh i'm sort of deliberately keeping that dark because I want it to be like a surprise every week. Um, but it's going to be a three week league. We're experimenting with the core four factions. Um, and then after this, hopefully I'll have put in enough internal testing to release the divinity tracks, which are kind of like the alternative to infernal contracts. And then also the hordes four factions to start off with. Plus like three more scenarios to uh to use for the next one so just, it looks like we just, got about 20 people just throw together the rules for another four factions Jaden. just get it done yeah no it's absolutely <laughs> i'll get right on that no problem <laughs> just just knock it out right yeah it's yeah. it's a super easy thing everybody could do it that's why everybody's done it already <laughs> yep perfect um, that's why I'm we keep excited. you around <laughs> yeah, i'm super excited for uh, uh fallen corvus um, I wasn't able to jump into this the first round of the the beta, but I'll probably jump into the second. Nice, yeah, it's gonna be fun, and I'm gonna make Brett play a game with me on stream sometime in the next. Yay, that's what I want to do. Me and one of my okay. peoples are are gonna be playing, uh, trying it out next week actually. Nice. In yeah, that might be awesome. Might, might have my locals try it out. Yeah. Yes, to. give me more testers. Yeah. More data. Yeah. I'll get. Uh, I'll get a. I'll get um, Brent Beardsley's uh, oh <laughs> opinions. <laughs> he probably would be perfect for that, actually. I know. That's why <laughs> he's great. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that'll be fun. We'll get that yeah. up. Yeah. I'm fe- 
I am feverishly looking for a 3D printable terrain for Fallen Corvus. So the scouring the possible sites for for good stuff. So nice. yeah, it's it's Very really high. interesting. I'm um depending, of course, on how things do. I'm considering pretty strongly reaching out to one of the the 3D printing Patreons and just being like, here is several thousand dollars. Can your next month please be this style for this game that I made and see if they, they'd be willing to do that? Um, that would be amazing. That'd be so cool. Yeah. What's cool about that is uh, one thing that I've always wondered about 3D printing and like and terrain is that then... You, we can tell people exactly how to do a, like a level or a map or something like that. You could say like, put this same exact terrain piece here, and then oh yeah, if you design... yeah if you were like, hey, I've got a bunch of files that I am allowed to post uh, for like public use somehow, like mm-hmm. use these to set up like this situation for those of you who have them. That'd be kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me uh, let me guys ask you guys something. Um, so I'm one of the people that does a lot of the mods on TTS. I know that not all of you are super fans of TTS. Are you cool with me making a mod for uh, Broken Course in uh, yeah. TTS? Yeah. Because I've actually play. already started on one. I just need to finish the buildings. Yeah, as long as you call it Fallen, Fallen Corpus. Fallen Corpus, yeah. Fallen Corpus, <laughs> yep, yep. I'm thinking of something else at the same time. Don't, <laughs> don't feel bad. Brett and I didn't even have the same name for it up until like the day before we released the beta rules. <laughs> Which is great because we, we both agree, like, we both thought we were in agreement. <laughs> yep. Jade texted us like, that's not what we said. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, but yeah, the... I definitely want to put out a mod for it because I like what you're doing, but I'm struggling seeing it in 2D in yeah. Warcable. Yeah, um, that's always the challenge. But applying it to something like TTS, I think it could work. Where War Machine really doesn't. Yeah, I but agree. Warcaster does. Yeah. So. yeah, and we yeah. want verticality to be part of it. So <laughs> that's the strength of TTS. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of verticality. Hey. Nice. Hey. hey. It's the... so. Uh, transitions like this work better if you like stop everything while we have an actual topic today that we wanted to be talking about uh, so we brought on some warcaster folks uh, so we could all talk about monster apocalypse the perfect <laughs> yep. plan yeah. uh, Globicus <laughs> is way too overpowered everyone I'm glad you brought this topic up let's sit down uh, and, and I'll spell it out why <laughs> bottles cool I want to paint them but that's about it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, terrain, actually. Terrain within Warcaster. And I think this is an interesting topic because, uh, like, it actually goes into a little bit of some stuff that uh, we were talking about with Malorian last week, about people kind of getting very identified in with the game that they play. Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing I found is, uh, I found this locally. It took us a long time, especially like, so I, I've jumped, I play a lot of different games, and I've played games like Infinity and stuff uh, a decent amount that have like wild amounts of terrain. And um, my locals who like primarily, like a hun- pretty much 100% played War Machine, when they were initially setting up tables for Warcaster, uh, they were fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I have horror stories. Yeah, like War Machine players' ideas of like a really terrain-heavy game is really interesting <laughs> sometimes. Um, and we've seen it online. We, we've seen, uh, you know, you, you see people posting pictures of their games and stuff, and and you'll you'll hear a lot of things about kind of people's idea of the balance of the game or things being very very strong or very weak or whatever certain abilities have. You know, having a lot of effect or not very much. And then you'll see like pictures of their table and you're like, that's because you're playing on a regular war machine table. <laughs> Why are there four pieces of train and none of them? Yeah, right. You're like, well, we've got a four. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So we want to talk a little bit about like, yeah, just setting up terrain for Warcaster Cause it's a very different, it's a very different process from, from setting up terrain for war machine. Uh, yeah. Who, who has the opening thought? I so, will, because I don't know anything about the game other than, like... So that means you are the perfect person to do start. It, perfect. Do it. <laughs> okay, so, based on my observations of the Warcaster community, um, I, I have concluded that the game needs about maybe 200% more terrain than most people are playing with. Pretty much because every model that seems OP to most people probably isn't if there's that much terrain on the table. 
yeah a lot of the time that that's kind of how i felt like especially i remember really early on this this started to fade a little bit but there was like these extreme reactions to marcher worlds right mm-hmm. and a lot of it was like well the things you're having problems with are very long range guns that don't ignore line of sight <laughs> and there's a way to fix that yeah. uh that's not to say marcher worlds aren't very strong i think they are but strong. yeah but um it's one of those things that like i feel like you really have to sit down with it for a little while and like just start putting more crap on the table <laughs> <laughs> well and this is, a, this is a classic problem in war machine too where like up in the american northwest terrain's a lot more dense but that's also where the game is being designed <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah be, no which, for sure yeah. yeah well one of the big things to look at when you're when you're doing a table is that generally the rules suggest you, you put two or three pieces of terrain per quarter of the table. Now, one of the problems with that is that if when you putting stuff out by quarter of the table, you tend to put it towards the center of each quarter. And a lot of that issue is that through the center of the table, line of sight can be drawn by martial worlds, long range guns or um, long range spells from some of the factions. So, what I suggest when building a table is that you start with two or three big pieces of terrain per quarter, and then you add more terrain on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you really <laughs> need to keep in mind is also what scenario you're playing. Because if you have the ability of one piece to sit on a scenario point and then shoot over to the other scenario point, uh, it, it it basically it, it's too much it becomes like one piece is doing way too much on their turn so you, do you also want to look at and make sure that the scenarios are adequately partitioned mm-hmm. to, to create yeah. barriers between them yeah there was a uh, um when i was first kind of learning to set up infinity tables there's actually a, a lot of things that i i think about from setting up infinity tables that go into warcaster even though warcaster is a little more terrain light but um one thing that i always think about is sniper lanes like where are their long lines of like line of sight on this table? And I think a lot of people's gut reaction, like when, when you start thinking about it, it's like, Oh, we need to make sure there's none of those. And that's not actually true either. Uh, you want to have those because like, that's a strength that some models have, right? Is having right. very, very long range options. You want people to be able to apply that, but you also want answers for that, right? You have you you kind of get to a table and suddenly have to be like a first person shooter game developer <laughs> <laughs> about like setting up like a, a lot of aspects of that terrain of like where are the long sight lines going to be? Where are the routes that get around that kind of a thing? And uh, what are the pros and cons of going down those and whatnot? Um, it's a lot of stuff to think about. Uh, you want to it's you want to make it interesting. The other thing too that I think War Machine players like we never have using this is scatter terrain. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, like little things, right? Like uh-huh. all over a table. I look. That's my favorite part of setting up like really terrain heavy games is just all the little shit. You're like I'm gonna put a dumpster right here. Is it a huge deal? Not really, but it might be. <laughs> oh, well, let me say for, for Warcaster, it's a huge deal because that cover bonus is yeah. In in Warcaster. When you hit something, like how good you hit it determines um, like how much it applies to the damage side too. So that can mitigate a lot of damage, like actually getting to you if you have cover. Not only miss, not only do you decrease the chance for the miss, but it affects the damage as well. Right. Yeah. Well, and so how much of it, how much is the case that it's true that um, models always have cover? Like, does. It like, depends on what you're playing and who you're playing against. So okay. if you're playing against ISA, even if your models have cover, most of the time you don't have cover. <laughs> um, that's one of their strengths, is they have okay. a lot of models, like specifically the Annihilator squads, that have a lot of ways to ignore cover or even line of sight when shooting at you. But at the same time, there's a lot of models like um, the Aeternus Continuum vassals that need to have cover to survive. Right. They don't have cover... A blast weapon kills three of them really easily. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes uh, it does. Yep, yes it does. Um, so the the other thing to think about with terrain is the, also the types of terrain. So like, not just line of sight blocking terrain, but what line of sight tar- blocking terrain do you have that is what if it's forest? What if it's um, things that you can stand on or can't stand on? What has ladders? What doesn't? 
what do you need to have flight to get over or flight to get onto compared to other things. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that comes into play in Warcaster that just doesn't exist in War Machine and Hordes. Mm -hmm. Right. So rule of thumbs, like generally speaking then, big long sight lines between objective points, probably bad, but is it okay to have like one of those things that's that's there or is it just bad idea to have any at all so when i'm designing a table mm -hmm. i tend to like to use a mix of uh hard line of sight blocking things uh, usually something in the center and then one or two per side and then use things like uh forests which work like forests in war machine where you can see three inches in and three inches out but don't provide cover which is a, a weird aspect for me um or things that my group call rubble which is effectively like the same thing but it does provide cover um and then um a mix of scatter so that when trying to see an objective, there shouldn't be a clear long-range line to the entire objective or both sides of the objective, but some part of it should be able to be seen at long range. Mm, that's a good call, actually. And, yeah, so there's a, there's a choice to make when you're on that objective, right? right. You're like, and it also, be out where I can be seen or not? And also um, helps un when designing a table is understanding which objectives provide cover and which don't. Because some do and some don't. It is and, so easy to forget. <laughs> and and some of them can be stood on, some can't, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so sounds it sounds like confusing. sounds like you recommend. Yeah, it is. Sounds like you recommend a huge variety of terrain too. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that we want to help. I mean, we're going to keep talking about it now, but yeah. we wanted to put out um, through line of sight once we're once you know we have access to our articles is we want to talk about terrain that exists now, terrain that, how to set it up, uh, how to use it, um, some other types of terrain that use the existing rules, and then, like, let's add acid pools, let's add uh, uh, burning earth, let's add some of that stuff from War Machine that we love that could exist in Warcaster, or uh, let's add a wrecked spaceship, like, how do you play with a wrecked spaceship? Because that's the kind of terrain you could find on one of these tables. Yeah, that's that's one thing that and they... There's one thing I always look for in settings for for miniatures game that uh, I really like that Warcaster had in there, and it's something that's actually similar to uh, it's a big strength that 40k has as well, where they've kind of set up a world where like it, basically any terrain can exist, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like they they kind of establish early on like hey, there's a lot of planets, and some of them mm -hmm. have ancient alien ruins on them, or some of them have all kinds of weird things on it. Yep. You can kind of justify anything. Um, right. we had one that was dumb where we had to use the only mat we had that was the right size was like a, it looked, it, it was close to the right size. Anyway, it was an X wing mat mm -hmm. that was like set in space. And so I set up like space debris, I set up like floating, like bits That's of a ruined space station. Awesome. And it's like, we just played it exactly, you know, normally yeah. it's not like we had any rules or anything, but it was like, eh, okay, this is the theme of this one. We're, well, yeah. we're fighting in space. Why not? It's, yeah, exactly. Anytime I, I play a sci-fi game, I want to do a you know like zero g hall by hall fighting in a spaceship like Man. that's the fantasy that gets to me yeah it, i mean you could do you could do really cool things where there's outside sections where there's uh like crevices that they have to jump over and there's rules yeah. for jumping in the game and if they don't make it or the crevice is a little too far and their base doesn't end on it you could have a chance where they fall into the crevice and take have a chance to take damage because there's falling damage in the game so mm -hmm. why not apply that or sucked hey, into the vacuum of space. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Exactly. That's like super duper hardcore. Hey, Brett, guess what? what? We can design a falling airship level for fallen Corvus where there's less gravity because you're falling. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it, we can we can just do a, a naval boarding action. That would, that would be the same. <laughs> that would be good enough for me. Can I help sure. test that? That sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, once I've got her in. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, so one... One thing that's uh, also important to keep in mind when you're thinking about just just your table is the different sizes of game in Warcaster. Like most people are playing skirmish that's a uh, 30 uh, by 30, um, mm -hmm. and then a full size is just a four by four. Uh, it's going to be very different uh, how it looks and how abilities affect each other on both sides boards. 
Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Are are there a lot of games out there that have like variable board sizes? Um, newer 40K has that okay. built into it. Yeah, it does. Um, but that's the only one I can think of really off the top of my head besides Warcaster. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I expect it's a different skill, quote unquote, for both sizes because, like you said, there's a, there's entirely different like ranges that matter, right? Like I imagine stealth is a lot better at a full size game. It than is. it is in a skirmish. 100%. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then you have certain uh, abilities on Warjacks that lets them, like in a skirmish game, that gives them extra movement. In a skirmish game, they can get everywhere on the board. There's like literally no corner that is safe from these hypermobile Warjacks, too. So, like, so some things are really, really, really powerful in skirmish that are still powerful in full size, but not as overwhelming. And then there's there's stuff that just like doesn't work in skirmish that is really strong, or uh, really like like stealth, um, that's really useful in full size. So and like how you start and how your how the turns work. So usually in skirmish, as like an, as an AC player like I am, I'm usually hitting you on turn one. I'm I'm attacking you on turn one unless I don't have furies in my hand, or um, I. Don't I start out with like all of a specific type of card in my starting hand? I'm usually attacking you at on turn one of round one. In full size games, I might attack you on turn five of round one, but I'm usually attacking you starting at the beginning of, of round two, okay. just because of the size and the scale and the positioning and and the need because both games start with the same amount of points of stuff on the table. So in a in a 30 by 30 game, you can have up to five deployment points of stuff in your of your army on the table, which is usually like a squad, a jack, or a couple solos. You start with the same amount of stuff in a full size game. So and but a full size game is almost double the size, like just barely less than double the size of the board. So you spend your first five turns of the game building up your army. In a, in, a, in a primary mission compared to hitting somebody on turn one, usually in a skirmish game. Right, and yeah, that makes sense. sense. One of the things that... Well, Go ahead, Brett. So similarly, when you're playing in different formats, do you need to um, change the terrain based on what is able to score? Like, I know skirmish is warjacks are able to score a lot more often, whereas it's almost always warrior in full size. Uh, it's actually almost always squads, specifically. Oh, right. Yeah. It's squads, and then there's two missions right now that allow you to that allow solos to score as well mm-hmm. in uh, full size um, in primary. Yeah, but uh, everything can score in skirmish. So yes, there is some of that. Um, it's more so the best way to think about if you haven't played a lot of primary compared to skirmish. The best way to think about it is skirmish is everybody's playing on top of each other. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of a lot of diversity to army depending on what faction you're playing. Uh, in uh, primary missions, everyone has to play with squads because that's what scores in most of the missions. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, I guess there is one primary mission of the first six that allows jacks to score where you're controlling zones of area instead of objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, um, it's basically a bunch of skirmishes happening around the board as the game goes on. And it's who can get the advantage in one skirmish and then take troops that are involved in that skirmish and apply them to another skirmish to get advantage effectively. So um, when you build a primary mission board, usually you want to build a bunch of small like areas of terrain instead of maybe a, a full board. Some I, I've played on full boards, I've played on not. Um, but the game tends to, circ- to focus around the objectives in a full in a primary game, where in a skirmish game, it's the whole board is the battlefield. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I, I have lots of questions about the common loop played format when, when, we're, when we're closing <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't actually really thought about that that way. Because, yeah, the, you definitely use very different <laughs> very different mm-hmm. parts of the table from one, one size to the next. Nice. So um, a question I do have, or like, or like a, a philosophy, I guess, to, to discuss. Um, when we were setting up War Table, uh, we, we brought in Will Rutan, who's one of the judges and event organizers for the Las Vegas Open to make the first like 
four or five of the the, the pre-built terrain sets. And the way he approached it was really interesting because he would build weaknesses and advantages into the board in in non-obvious ways. And he would when he went through the maps, one of them was, he was like, so in this map, if you have a huge base and you deploy it on the left side, unless you route them, you're going to lose because by turn two or turn three, your huge base will not be able to advance any farther into the right without like running around this huge objective, right? Or sorry, uh, uh, mm. obstacle. Um, is this something similar to that in Warcaster, or does the prevalence of flight and the way that unit movement works change that a lot? So uh, I think the core question he's asking is, mm -hmm. does terrain affect movement or like shooting more? Is that is that too much of distillation? Uh, sure, that that's fine. So so I, I think I get what you're saying here and like, like how terrain has different effect on unit types and also how you can do things like use terrain. And this was part of the philosophy when you created the war table boards, mitigate stuff like first turn advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Like by having a side that's clearly better than the other. Um, and, and I and I at least uh, and I'm much a newer player than, than Jay. Uh, so take my thoughts on this with a grain, grain of salt. Uh, but I, I think that having areas where, uh, for example, units can fit th through more easily or walk around and something like a vehicle that's like on an 80, mil like 80 millimeter base doesn't have great landing spots are so important to this game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it is important as a balancing factor for the different types of unit. Uh, what's, what's interesting in Warcaster is that many people think because of... A lot of missions are end of pulse round scoring uh, is that actually it's second turn advantage because the person who goes yeah. last at the end of the pulse round has so many advantages to go in and uh, contest a zone, go in and slam someone off an objective. Uh, right. So it, it, it's, it's really interesting and um, it, it, it kind of takes the... Uh, you know, how do you design a board to mitigate that sort of vantage hard? Because in some missions you have end of pulse round scoring, and then some missions you have end of activation scoring. So you really ha have to take that into account. So I would say that thinking about it the way you, the, you pose the question, um, because movement generally works the same no matter the size of the model. Mm -hmm. So you don't have stuff like Colossals that or at least yet, that are on giant bases that have trouble moving around, that um, can't be moved outside of their activation, or can't be, um, because there's not restrictions on how, th how bigger models move, at least with the stuff that we have so far, I think that designing a table so that, like Luis was just saying, where only certain things fit in certain areas, is how you mitigate and do that sort of... Uh, not mirror match kind of terrain mm -hmm. and how you can sort of mitigate a first turn and second turn mm -hmm. advantage. But as Lee said, right now it is very tough to justify going first. I'm actually one of the few people that likes to go first, but I have a reason for that because I like to hit first and try and limit your activations. Mm -hmm. Um, most people think that going second is right. And in my experience, I usually lose if I go first because um, the ability to control or push your enemy's models off the board, off of uh, places, off of objectives um, during the second turn is so strong because of scoring at the end of the round instead of at the end of, a, of an activation that mm -hmm. um, some of that, some of that, mismatching the build of the table um you basically have to design tables per per faction and not per because so one of the things about war machine is that even though army the army started off having strengths and weaknesses there's so many models that they sort of cover each other's strengths and weaknesses that hasn't happened yet with warcaster so right uh, a model like an army like marcher worlds that can very easily have five or six guns that are range 20 where the average gun range is 10 to 12 forever for the other three factions. If you had something that, that allowed for long gunfire, most factions wouldn't be able to take advantage of that with more than one or maybe two guns. Mm. So, um, or you have a faction like AC that um, 
has a strong ability to ignore terrain, so dense, uh, uh, impassable terrain, they can ignore that, but no other faction has an ability to do that. Um, some of them have flight, but flight is actually more prevalent in AC, which is a faction that has abilities to let them ignore terrain. So, and why they've added some of that into the cipher decks, each person would basically have to think about the table and build their cipher deck based upon the table to be able to take advantage of that. Okay. So in a tournament, a tournament sort of setting, I think no, right now, building tables and applying advantage isn't going to work in War Machine. I mean, in Warcaster. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to see what happens with the collision course scenarios because they're supposed to add six more scenarios for collision course with light vehicles in mind and, and some other things. And I'm hoping they learn from the, the first set of six mission, of primary missions and three skirmish missions and apply more things that allow competitive play to be more balanced and so that you can add in things like uh, terrain giving you advantage and stuff like that. But right now, I don't think that's it comes into play as much. Interesting. Okay, cool. The the other thing that I think is going to be really interesting with Collision Course, uh, at least I'm seeing some factions like Imperians are starting to get weapons that Mm -hmm. completely ignore line of sight. So that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're spammable, which is, I think, the issue with Imperians right now. (laughs) Oh, man, I I definitely want you to go into Salt About Balance. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe that's not where you want. I'm a fire man, so uh, uh, let's talk about balance. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but I'm actually way more interested because you brought up the tournament format, and I've been dying yeah. to ask, like, what? How is how is the game commonly played? So I know they talked about pendulum, yeah. where you where you actually like increase the size of the tournament over the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also I also definitely want and how that affects how the game works. I also definitely want to talk about um in tournament settings or so if you're not in tournaments so if you're in tournament settings obviously um the to makes the terrain and they have to make all these decisions mm-hmm. what do you do in just a one-off game where you just got two guys and it's like well we have to design terrain that's fair well i have a million range guns and i can walk through terrain how do we how do we justify the two of those so for me when i build tables i i tend to try and build a balanced table that's going to give a variety of armies a variety of advantage. So um, I usually use between uh, six and eight pieces of line of sight blocking terrain, usually buildings, uh, half half or more of which are able to be climbed upon in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, then I usually use um, usually four to six pieces of sort of like smaller or mid-sized terrain that blocks line of sight, but maybe isn't so tall they block line of sight to everything. So infantry... It would block on us to infantry, but not to jacks, for example. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I fill the table with as much scatter as I own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, because I, I, go ahead. Scatter is one of those things. It's just like start scrounging up everything you yep. can find, because the more <laughs> you have on there, the more entertaining it is most yeah. of the time. Every box, TARDIS, Coke machine, or anything I can find from any game in any genre that I have is currently on in my Warcaster playset. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. I would say that's that's one of the things I've been really enjoying about Marvel Crisis Protocol because yeah. like every single little teeny thing is a size one terrain that you can chuck at somebody. And it's I wonderful. Have about eight Coke machines from Mar- Marvel Crisis Protocol that are, have made it way into my Warcaster terrain. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should use okay. them as objectives. That's what they're fighting over. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. What is this fallout? Brief anecdote. Brief anecdote. <laughs> so, Pepsi, I think it was Pepsi. Uh-huh. So, dur- during the Cold War, the Russian ruble was worth essentially nothing. But Russians love Pepsi. So, Russia traded an entire aircraft carrier naval like force to Pepsi in exchange for ridiculous amounts of soda. And so for like a couple of days between when that happened and when Pepsi sold the the fleet to the U.S., mm-hmm. they were like what the top, like the fifth or sixth biggest navy in the world. <laughs> That's, That's insane. So, so Pepsi as an objective could have like historical precedent is, is more or less sort of getting <laughs> Wonderful. Str- Good. Str- the strategic Pepsi uh. reserve. 
Yeah. I'll apply that to 20 millimeter bases. <laughs> the objectives in Warcaster are, are 20 millimeter bases. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, right. I just mm -hmm. I like that anecdote. I like to tell it. That's a really cool one. I, I like to imagine an alternate reality where a Pepsi has just spun off into its own rogue state and are terrorizing the world. I too like cyberpunk novels. <laughs> <laughs> but but they keep getting defectors because they they're the only ones that can make Pepsi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Think about President Dragon again. Um, <laughs> so okay. So have have any of you guys played the um, uh, the Pendulum style, like the slow grow tournaments? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I played through. I played through it a couple times. Fascinating. Can you just talk about it? Sure. Um, we have a whole episode about it, but uh, yeah. So we can do that. Uh, so <laughs> the basically the idea of Pendulum is that you're building, and there's sort of two two approaches to it. You can either start with a base skirmish, which is eight units in a solo, um, and then add stuff to it as you go along. Mm -hmm. Or you can build whole separate lists for each sort of size. Okay. Um, the one thing that has to stay the same across everything is your uh, cipher deck. Oh, wow. Now, there is a sideboard mechanic, a specialist sort of mechanic, where you can have one jack, one of each type of unit. So jack, uh, solo, uh, squad, and light vehicle currently. And the jack has to have its weapon options picked ahead of time. Um, and then one of each cipher card, so each color of the four colors of the cipher card, as sort of a sideboard. Okay. And each list can have a different sideboard, if you want, currently. Uh, it's a sort of up to the TO to decide how you want it to work. Um, but so when you build, when you find out what you're playing and you see the table, and who your opponent is, you're allowed to sideboard in models, sort of like Brawl Machine. Mm -hmm. um, and you can change the cards in your Cypher deck as long as this, between the stuff that you take out and stuff you put back in, the deck is still legal. So there's at least three of each type. And there has to be the same, same number of cards that started in the Cypher deck and uh, the Cypher deck at the end. So you can't, like... Be like, well, I need to need to get to my Furies faster, so um, I'm going to take out all of the extra cards down to the minimum three um, and have more Furies in my deck, so I'm always drawing Furies. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You can't. You have to keep the same number of cards. But if, for example, I, I have a mission where I don't want to play with a light vehicle, for example, I could have a light vehicle in my sideboard, and so that when, uh, if I needed Nyx, and I needed to, to get up the, I'm playing Imperians, and I needed to get up the board faster and get a gate out on turn one, I thought, because my opponent has also has a gate, an early gate mechanic, I could switch Nyx in for a squad, and take a squad out if I wanted to, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, I think the strength of the format is in the ability to play a variety of games and play with your whole collection in a, over the course of a tournament. I think the weakness is also that. So <laughs> the the way the way the format is set up is that TOs can sort of decide how they want to do it. So if you follow exactly how it works is you play a three-round tournament, you play a, a base skirmish game, you play a what's called a modified skirmish, which is 11 units and two solos on a skirmish table. Mm -hmm. um, and then you play one primary game, which is 15 units and three three heroes. So 15 units with three heroes attached to it um, on a 48 by 48 table. So you play two games on 30 by 30s and one game on a 48 by 48. Um, and then depending on how many extra rounds are added, you add extra games where the last game that's added, so at, at round six... At round nine is when you add another primary. So you're you're mostly playing uh, thirty by thirty skirmish games mm -hmm. um, throughout the tournament. It's only the final rounds where you're playing the primary, the big primary mission game. Sort of like if you played a Mark One, how uh, the first couple of days were fifty or seventy or uh, five hundred or seven hundred fifty point tournaments, and then the last day was the thousand two thousand point two caster tournament. If you yeah, if yeah. you played back at one. 
Iron Gauntlet used to do something a little bit like yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, the weakness with this format for me personally <laughs> is that there are six primary missions currently mm-hmm. and three skirmish missions. And you're playing mostly skirmish. And you're playing mostly skirmish. You're playing the same mission over and over. So if you play more than three rounds of skirmish, you're playing one of the missions over. That should get better when Collision Course right. comes out, because we're going to see more skirmish. But yeah, right, right. now, you, the thing you're playing most sees the, less ver- the least varieties. And you could modify the event to have to play all skirmish if you want, which is what I would do personally. Well, I was just about to ask, just a, yeah. just a poll, uh, which type do you prefer, the skirmish, so, so the, medium, the, or the large? The big thing to look at is the amount of time it takes to play a game. Mm. So a, a regular skirmish team game, if we're playing in person, should take about, if you both players know what they're doing, should take about the same amount of time as a war machine game. So two hours on a death clock each. Wait. And they, it uses death clocks. The skirmish is that long? Skirmish should take about an hour at most, about an hour each. Oh my yeah. god! So uh, that that pretty much tracks really my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then, um, if you, and then modified skirmish, the eleven and two also plays um, at an hour on the death clock each. Mm-hmm. And then the primary plays at at ninety minutes on the death clock. Oof. So if you look at like a big a big tournament at a con you're going to have multiple two-hour games, and then at the end of the con, when you're tired, you're going to have two, maybe three, three-hour games, mm-hmm. which yeah. is rough and yeah. just doesn't work, which is yeah, why I I, playing skirmish works better, or you should start with a primary mission and, that, and then go to, to skirmish towards the end. I love that there, yeah, I, I always love that the Kickstarter has it 60 to 90 minutes on it, and I'm like, uh-huh. So I can say that... Playing online, and I've played a lot on TTS and online, um, an average skirmish game takes about uh, two and a half hours to three hours for like basic level people. People that really know what they're doing, I've managed to play a primary in three hours mm-hmm. online, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, usually primaries take about four hours online. Yikes. That's a long time. So so if you were to play an event like, uh, like, a, like an online convention... You could play all day and play three rounds. That's a that's a yikes for me, bro. Right, <laughs> which is why we're starting to see more of a narrative focus from at least from the the stuff that we're doing with Charge uh, and Spike and from the people we've talked to in Privateer. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the community has been asking for more narrative stuff. Uh, so we've released an interview uh, with uh, Andy from privateer and a lot of what he told us was that with the kickstarters people are asking for more narrative ways to play uh solo play team play stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. um campaigns which is uh, something well, that we know that's coming in the, the third wave of it's what, one thing that like is really nice about the way that work because warcaster is like it's not that it's you know it's not like riot quest simple right. but the the rules are pretty like they're not super crazy and crunchy and there's a lot of flexibility in what you like. So like when Brett was talking about like doing like zero G type stuff, that'd be really easy to implement. Like that's very, very easy. And so like really narrative, interesting, unique stuff would be extremely simple to design for with the way that Warcasters design. And actually like, honestly, I feel like, uh, uh, oddly enough, it's one of the strengths of strike dice as well Mm -hmm. is that dice system allows for a lot of like, you can kind of use it to do whatever you need it to do. Right. Uh, well, that, which is that was, really nice. That was, that was the genius of fifth, D&D 5th edition, just to go to a completely different topic, right? Where it's like, anything you do, you either add a D20 and drop the lowest, or add a D20 and drop the highest. Yeah, yeah. which took a ton of like crunchy bullshit out of exactly. the system. Yep. Um, but it's also like uh, our own experiences writing Fallen Corvus, right? I think we've had a couple times where we've been like, Man, this would be kind of easier with strike dice, like just because just because that <laughs> the damage system works much better for small scale games, right? Like because that was one of our big things going into Fallen Corvus was like how do we reduce lethality, and uh, strike dice yeah, are very, very good for that. Strike dice would have been good. We didn't want to do that, so the alternative was I just spent untold amount of time <laughs> yeah, yeah, fixing it up but yeah like I, I am excited because i know that they yeah they've talked uh, a bit about doing doing narrative scenario type stuff for mm-hmm. 
for Warcaster, and I'm really excited to see that because I think it lends itself really well to it, especially when we start getting more into the lore of the game because as it is, we know not a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually one of the things that we on Turn Spike focus on in, in our cast is the, with the format of our cast is we, we talk about our charge section is about narr- the narrative stuff. And so we dig, dig into the, the narrative stuff that we have. The Jason uh, Souls articles that have come out the last two weeks have been amazing for that kind of stuff. We're supposed to get that for the all four of the factions, yeah, which should be amazing. And then they've also told us that um, in uh, the, the third Kickstarter uh, this will probably be this summer. There's going to be a worlds book, sort of like a, a world guide, but like a worlds book of the thousand worlds that sort of give us an idea of different types of worlds and then talk about some specific worlds. And then it's supposed to have a campaign system built into it. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, one thing that I think is important to note when we're talking about game length, right, um, is when you think about like a three hour war mission game, you're like, oh Lord, that, that's, that's going to take a while. It feels different in Warcaster, at least to me, because of the alternating activation and the competing dice pools. Like, you're always rolling for defense against the other person. Like, it does feel like you're engaged constantly through it. So it doesn't... Oh, yeah. At least to me, it doesn't feel like as much as a slog as if it were my turn, your turn. Primaries, I have some problems. I usually am getting tired by the end of the third... Uh, the third round, for sure. But skirmish missions, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I play them yeah. all day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for I was gonna me say, specifically, like, oh, go ahead, Brett. I was just gonna say, yeah, skirmish. Skirmish seemed more appealing when the game was come when we were like playing those first intro games, mm-hmm. and, and it seems like that's being borne out. Yeah. For me personally, like, I don't think I mind playing a three-hour game from like a is this too much perspective because I don't know that seems fine, but like trying to schedule that it just sounds like a freaking nightmare. Well, and I think the biggest thing is uh, Jade and I have been working on working for almost a full year to shorten the length of War Machine. So hearing that the game is even longer than base War Machine yeah. is like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, there is some of that too. Absolutely. Yeah. I like but. it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like long grindy games. This is how I that's how I, I mean, function. What? I, you I like a- long grindy games? Yep. I, I played a lot of TI3 in college. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, man. It's nice. So um, with with that like, narrative thought in mind, is, is the direction that the game is going to be going primarily then more narrative style than War Machine then, most likely? Like, we're not going to see such a focus on, like, the 75-point steamroller equivalent and the we're just playing steamroller scenarios all the time kind of mentality? Or is there going to be some sort of, like, balance type thing going on um i don't know um so in my experience the majority of the play that i've done at least recently um has been playing the first contact escalation event escalation narrative play missions most mm-hmm. of the people that I've been playing with, both online and on uh, in like one-off play, usually wants to play one of those games because it's sort of uh, each level defines a like a level of play, and it's there. The scenario is interesting. Okay. Um, the majority of my play has basically been playing skirmish games or occasional primary game in a very sort of uh, prepping for a 75-point Warcaster kind of format where you're just playing missions over and over and over again to sort of learn how they play and uh, learn how objective plays, learn how your army plays, and, and figuring out how, to, how, to, how it works. But while we don't have a lot of stuff, and Collision Course helps with that a lot, there's still a lot of figuring out exactly what works best. So like I'm at 75 games ish with AC, most of them Mm -hmm. skirmish. And I still couldn't tell you, like I still haven't figured out how to play with a nemesis, which is the heavy Jack. Right. Because it just doesn't work with how I see the structure of the army working. So um, there definitely could be room for both. And I think it's, probably more room for both in the in the community play than like war machine hordes is but i think each group is sort of going to pick what they want to focus on right yeah okay. uh, i'll also yeah. i'll also note that 
we don't really know what the meta is going to be like. Like it, ev- this game, like the last days of the first Kickstarter, we all went into basically the pandemic hit and all of like in-person play was disrupted. Right now, the meta is evolving over tabletop simulator. It's probably going to be different once we can start playing in person again. Uh, yeah. And we might see it change drastically. And I think um, Hungerford and talking about like one thing that when Hungerford was asked about, you know, what his thoughts on brawl machine he said like one of his regrets with uh mark three was that they make made 75 point the standard and the only way to play and uh one thing that they want to move forward at least is what i got from it is that you know they in game in their any new game that they release they want to have a lower point standard as just another way to play and just as legitimate as the large of uh, the full scale game, um, so I, I think that they're always going to support uh, skirmish, and that they're they they're always going to also support their the primary mission. But uh, you know, I, I get the impression, and I can't speak for them, but I get the impression there's a lot of interest to to also support the narrative stuff. Nice, that's yeah. pretty cool. I hadn't actually heard that Hungerford said that. That's awesome. Yeah. So the yeah, I remember him talking about this. So the other thing to think about with Warcaster is that we're still in early days. So yes, we're, we're the, the second, the backer kit for the second Kickstarter is about to, uh, when we're recording this is about to um, close tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we haven't seen the second wave of models and we haven't seen the third wave of models. And we're, so we, we're basically somewhere between book one and book two model wise. Um, right. And we haven't actually had a balancing fact yet. We haven't had a, well, this is what we thought the stuff would work. We, we saw a season tournament play, and this is the this is how we would like to adjust these couple of models. That hasn't happened at all in Warcaster. And so just because there's no way to do that. And right. so we, we could get three seasons of models before something like that happens. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's definitely interesting. The game's going to have a, a really fascinating future. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting to see the collision store, uh, collision course stuff. I've actually been sitting here looking at the Kickstarter updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got their big giant bins full of models, yep. <laughs> and a bin full of Kogans, apparently. Well, the, uh, the, for, the, <laughs> the I mean, quest. the craziest thing if you read into that into that post is they're because like it was supposed to we're supposed to get stuff in April, but they're talking about having starting packing of stuff like the middle of next month, so we could get stuff by the end of March. Yeah, dang. Yeah, they, crazy. they've been they've been doing a really good job getting their Kickstarter yeah. stuff out in like incredible time. Super, super good. Which is good. I feel like they need I to. Agree. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, we we mentioned that when it was coming out, and we like. Yeah, we were like, as long as like this will be a hell of a Kickstarter as long as it all gets to us on time, and it all got there early. <laughs> yeah, it got there on the original schedule, despite the world collapsing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Well. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to start kind of bringing us uh, to a bit of a close here. So I'm going to go over a couple of our fun end things. Um, I want to give thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon because you guys are wonderful. Sorry, I'm kind of out of sorts because I was reading this uh, Kickstarter update. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You guys are awesome. We uh, generally refer to that kind of it's it's our, our tip jar. It's what we pay Brett's wages from. That's the joke. Um, yeah, it's our tip jar. We don't have anything locked behind or anything like that. If you do want to check out our our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash LOS War Machine. Uh, you can kind of support us on there. It helps kind of justify a lot of the time that we put into things, especially for our uh, families and whatnot. Um, in, uh, yeah, basically. Basically that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if uh, you would do want to see kind of all of our content in general, uh, head to loswarmachine.com. That's where we have all the articles being posted. Um, there's so many podcasts on there now. It's, just, it's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot. Thanks for having us on there, too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, our website was in no way designed to handle this. Um, That's also <laughs> what we'd like to put Patreon money for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, check it out. LOSWarmachine.com. You can see all the, all the all the fun articles of all kinds of things popping up uh, on there. 
You can also find our Facebook group, our Facebook page, which is Line of Sight. Uh, if you give that a like, follow that. You can see all of the stuff that we post, which is probably the best way to kind of see all of all the things happening. And you can message any of us on Facebook. I want to big, give a big thanks to, to Chargers Bike for coming out and hanging out with us for a while. Yeah. It's fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Probably yeah. talk to this again like next year or six months or something. Sounds good. For sure. Heck yeah. Yeah. Maybe we get a couple of you guys to come on to our show and uh, talk to us about War Machine and what you like, uh, Warcaster and what you like and don't like and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I need to get yeah. some more games in. It's been a little bit. I'm excited for the Collision Core stuff because it's been that. It's definitely oh. been that kind of like, all right, well, we have all these like half a faction. It, Let's start getting more models out. It helps the game so much. Yeah, uh, it adds it adds some new issues and some new problems, but every faction is so much richer and has so many more ways to play. After yeah. Nice. And the new ciphers are really cool. Yeah, yeah, they're so awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they definitely designed the game in a way that there's a lot of cool ways they can change it with very small releases even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, thanks for so much for coming on. And also everybody who listened, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you guys next week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>